Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. One of the worst teachings in Christianity is that we are no, no longer under the curse of the law. And what they have said, guys, for some reason this pulpit feels like it's going to fall over. Oh, there we go. All right, got it. One of the worst teachings in Christianity is this statement. We're no longer under the curse of the law. And it's really taken on a whole new life and dimension in the day and age that we live in right now. There are many pastors, unfortunately, that are teaching that if we try to live according to the laws of the Bible, then we are negating the grace of Christ. That is a false teaching. God still means what he says. When the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery, can we turn the smoke down a little bit here? I feel like, I feel like I'm back in the bars here or something. <laughs> is there a way to do Is there a way to do that? We're getting a little too much. Huh? Can we turn it? Excuse me. I hurt my back the other day. Let me cover that up. Tiz beat me up. <laughs> So what a lot of pastors are teaching is, is that the only thing we have to do is love one another. So to follow, and and, and friends of mine that are teaching to follow the laws is negating the grace of, of God, the blessings of Jesus. And so the Ten Commandments, we has nothing to do with us. I guarantee you that when the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery, If I went to Tiz and said, I'm no longer under that curse, Tiz would give me a whole new meaning of the laying on of hands and pleading my blood. Can I have an amen? Amen. So when the Bible says that we're no longer under the curse of the law, they're not talking about God's laws. They're talking about man-made laws. I'll give you an example. Man-made laws say women can't wear pants. Man-made laws say women can't wear makeup. Man-made laws are things that man added to what we know as Scripture. We are still to follow the Ten Commandments. We're not to steal. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to uh, um, want our neighbor's stuff for ourselves. When the Bible says we're no longer under the curse of the law, you're not talking about God's laws. They're talking about man-made laws. The word law in Greek or in Latin is legalism. The word law in Hebrew means a guide, a pathway. It has nothing to do with our salvation It has everything to do with the blessing of God on our lives. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up today is God showed me something that I've known, but I've never taught before. I know it, 
but I've never taught before that happens between right now and tomorrow evening, which is absolutely phenomenal. So when the Bible says that these laws, these teachings, these pathways of God are a shadow of things to come. Now, I was hoping we had the different calendar up there that would show Passover and uh, Pentecost, but let me just take a moment to explain it. Passover was a shadow until Jesus became our Passover lamb. The same thing happened on Passover for the children of Israel that happened the day that Jesus died on the cross. It's the same thing, the same blessing, the same curses being broken. Only when it's a shadow, it only lasted for a year. Once Jesus came, it's lasted for 2,000 years. Shavuot or Pentecost was a shadow. It only lasted a year. Once the day of Pentecost had fully come, it didn't last a year, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives every moment of every day until the second coming. Is everybody following that? Okay, now where are we right now on God's calendar? And it's so important that we see this because in the next few weeks, I'm going to start a series on the book of Revelations and Bible prophecy and the end times and what God is saying. And oh my goodness, folks, God is shouting to us that the end is so close. Amen? All right, so let's look at the shadow of what happens until the real thing takes place. And remember that when we understand these things, we are under the shadow of the protection of Almighty God until all Bible prophecy is fulfilled. All right? So let's look at where we are on the calendar. We've gone through the month of Elul. This is blowing the trumpet in Zion and sounding the alarm. Now, what they would literally do is take a shofar and blow the trumpet for 30 days leading up to Rosh Hashanah. All of us know this, but I want to say it real quickly. We're not hearing someone actually blow the shofar, but with COVID and with our economy and with our government and governments around the world— That is to us who have eyes to see and ears to hear. That is the blowing of the shofar. God is saying to every Christian and every Jew, wake up. Something is about to happen. Now, the reason I say that is, is because most Christians are asleep. Most Christians, you know, I just came back from a moose hunt in Canada. And it's amazing how foul mouth so many people are until, and I always like, if you're, I say, what do you do for a living? And they'll tell me this. And then of course, what, what's their next question to me? What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. It's amazing how many people instantly turn Christian. <laughs> but it's also amazing how few people who call themselves Christians know anything about Bible prophecy, know anything about living by faith, know anything about the power of God. And so even though they confess to have Jesus as the Lord and Savior, they're not walking in the power of that. 
They just go to church. What God wants us to do is not just wait for heaven, but he's come right now to give every one of us life and life more abundant. Now, I'm saying all this, most of you know this, but you need to realize where we are right now. And I, and I can't wait to do this series on Bible prophecy and the seven churches of the revelations. It, I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to get it all in. It, God is shouting to us, don't be lukewarm. Pay attention. Because after the 30 days of blowing the shofar, can we see it? Do we see it up here? Then we get into Rosh Hashanah which is a shadow of the rapture. Then we go through seven days or seven years. The rapture takes place. Then there are seven years of tribulation. Now, I, I, I debated on whether sharing any of this, but I think we really need to share with it because what is going to happen today and tomorrow is God's given me a prophetic word. If we're paying attention between today and tomorrow night, God is going to launch every one of us who are paying attention into an amazing time of divine blessing. Right? So let, let me take a little bit of time. The rapture obviously didn't take place. Now, I believe that Rosh Hashanah is the rapture. I believe Yom Kippur, seven days later, is the second coming. And I believe that where we're at right now in Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is the wedding supper of the Lamb. So you have the birth pangs, God saying to everybody, wake up. Then you have the rapture. Then you have seven years of tribulation. Now, I'm not going to get too much into Bible prophecy, but I want you to see this. During the time between the rapture, when we leave, when we leave, when the church leaves, the Holy Spirit, which holds Satan back, is gone. And now Satan, through people, can do whatever he wants to do. It will be, if you miss the rapture, it will be the most horrible time. You think about Inquisition. You think about genocide. You think about the Holocaust. That will be child's play compared to what happens for the next seven years. Now, what happens is, is that after the rapture takes place, there will be, and we're going to hit this on Bible prophecy there will be three main things that, that happens in the world. A one-world economic system where if you don't take the mark of the beast, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you cannot work, you cannot earn a living. There will be a one-world government where one man, the beast, will control the whole government of the world and there'll be a one-world religion. They'll tell every religion what they can and cannot say. Now, the reason I want to take a little bit of time to, to talk about this is I traveled the last two weeks out of the country the first time in two years. 
And when I, when I was getting ready to go to Canada and be in the wilderness, when I got to the airport, I had to show my card that said I was vaccinated. You don't get on the airplane unless you have a card that says you've been vaccinated. Not only did I need to have a card, but I had to show that I was tested and I didn't have COVID 72 hours before I got on the plane. So before I was allowed on, I had to have a card and a test to prove I had to show it. When I landed in Canada and I'm going through customs, I had to have a card. I had to have a document showing that I was tested. And even then, right in the airport, they had these booths set up where they would pull random people out and retest them. When I was leaving, I was up in the wilderness. I was nobody around for thousands of miles. When I was leaving, I had to go back in before I could get on the plane to leave Canada and come to the United States. I had to get tested again. I had to prove that I didn't have COVID. Otherwise, the United States would not let me in. The United States government would not let me in. If I had COVID, they would have taken me and anybody that I'd been in contact with and immediately put us in a quarantine building where I couldn't leave, whether I wanted to or not, I couldn't leave for two weeks. The thing that I question is, is that if I can't, After coming out of the wilderness, I can't come into the United States without proving I had been vaccinated and being tested that I did not have COVID. Why is our government allowing 12,000 Haitians to come across our border knowing? Now, to me, that's insanity. I'd been with one guy and a moose. But our government is allowing people to come in by the thousands into, and then transporting them to ever cities. How is it that, and I don't want to get too much in the prophecy, but I want you to see where we're at. How is it that our government will allow seven to 10,000 people a day that they know have not been vaccinated. I can't, I, can't, I can't fly in, but they're allowing thousands of people coming in. When you look at between the rapture and the second coming, what will take place here is the Antichrist. How will this man rule the world? How will he rule the world? He'll rule the world because there'll be such a crisis Worldwide, worldwide, there is a taste of that crisis with COVID. I believe personally that they're allowing these things to happen. And the passport is not the mark on my hand or the mark in my forehead, but it's a shadow of things to come. Do you understand? The reason I'm bringing this up is, believe it or not, this is not a fearful thing. This is good news. Because before this happens, I'm gone. Anybody want to come with me? But I want you to see, we would never dream. I, I, got, I, I gave my life to the Lord, what, 40-something years ago? 
And they talked about Bible prophecies then, and we thought, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? This this would never happen. One world government, there must mean something else. Guys, do you see how quick our world has changed? So what will happen is that after the rapture, then there'll be this man, this antichrist, which is called the beast, and he'll come on the scene all of a sudden and have an answer to the dilemma. The dilemma of what? Well, the dilemma, one of the dilemmas will be the Christians are all gone. But then he'll show himself as the Antichrist, and no one will be able to buy groceries, buy gasoline, work a job. You know, one of the guys in the back that helps with security back there said they're mandating him, them, to get a vaccine mandating and if you don't get it you have to pay for it yourself twice a week at 180 dollars per per test so this is a beginning this is a shadow of things to come do you understand then comes yom kippur the day of atonement the second coming now i'm going to get into all this when i talk about bible prophecy But you've got to understand that there will become a one-world government. Can I throw a a little good news in there for you? You and I will all be someday under a one-world government. But it won't be run by the Antichrist. It will be run by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who we know as Christ. That will happen. That will happen on this day. This day, this day is us going to the Lord. This day is us coming back with the Lord and the army of God. And you think about this, all the armies of the world led by the Antichrist will be in Israel. Now, just, I'll just throw a little thing out. Anti-Semitism is stronger in the world right now. Hating of Jews hating of Israel is stronger in the world right now than it was during Nazi Germany. So we see these things as shadows, but here comes the good news. The good news is, is that after the rapture, then we go to the wedding supper of the lamb. The wedding supper of the lamb is a time of phenomenal celebration. It's a time of great joy and great blessing. But then, after the wedding supper of the Lamb, and by the way, we are right, we are right here right now, and come tomorrow, Simkatora, the joy of the Word of God, that, that, that happens tomorrow evening. After this, we go into a thousand-year millennium. This, now remember, these are all a shadow. The same thing will happen When the shadow is here, the same thing will happen when it happens for eternity. Rosh Hashanah, God opened the book of every one of our lives. Every person in the world, God opened the book to look at our blessing. Yom Kippur, he sealed it. On the Feast of Tabernacles is when we bring the first fruit offering to multiply the blessing of God, and God releases, and we'll explain in a minute, the early rain and the latter rain. Then we go into, starting tomorrow evening, we go into a shadow of the millennium. 
The millennium is not eternity. The millennium is a thousand years of Christ reigning. And during that thousand years, tremendous joy and blessing and prosperity. The, the, the plowman will overtake the reaper. So I've known this, but I've never taught this. So as we are right here celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle, which is a shadow of the wedding supper of the Lamb, the millennium that begins for us spiritually, someday this will be the real thing, but right now it's a shadow. Listen to me prophetically. So every one of us that are paying attention, waking up, being a part of what God is doing around the world, preparing for the coming of the Messiah, this next year is going to be a year of great joy, great blessing, great prosperity, great miracles. This next year, someday it will be a real thousand years. Until then, it's only a shadow. But the same thing happens in the shadow. Get ready. Wake up. Pay attention and get ready for the greatest year you have ever had in your life. Spiritually, family, financially, because God's word promises this will happen. If you receive that, give the Lord a clap offering real quick, would you? All right. Now, I'm going to go through this very quickly. I'm going to go through what happens during the wedding supper of the Lamb. So if you'd open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and let's, let's read this together because so many Christians, it just, it just, it just blows my mind that so many Christians do not understand the feasts of the Lord. I have heard so many, I have heard so many times, Derek, would you do me a big favor, please? I can't bend over. I could bend over, but I may not get back up. And so, thank you, sir. So many Christians do not understand that the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you understand when the Bible was put together, they didn't originally call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was all one testament. But when the church wanted to separate us from our Jewish roots, they said that's the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. It's the same covenant. It's just been refreshed and gone from a shadow to the real thing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Let's start with verse 13. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where we are right now. Seven days. And when you've gathered from your threshing floor and from your wine press, and you shall rejoice in your feast. Now, look at me one second. You've heard me say this a thousand times. When God's word says, you shall rejoice, he's not saying, you rejoice. He's saying, when you understand what's going on right here, you will rejoice. How many ready for some good news? Amen. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, the Levite, the stranger, and the fathers. By the way, the stranger means the Gentile. And the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. Now, I want to throw this out because people have said this. 
I don't know why God picked me to understand the Jewish roots and make that my mission to teach the Jewish roots and to teach standing with the nation of Israel. I will bless those who bless you, Israel. I don't know why. The only thing I can figure out is God chooses the foolish to confound the wise, but I want to give him all the praise and all the glory that we are one of those few places that God has chosen to bring about this miracle, all right? Because the Lord your God will bless you in all, say all, all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. Three times a year, all your males, and through Jesus, he includes females, shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's Passover, at the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And so this is where we're at right now. Malachi chapter 3 says, return unto me and I'll return unto you. And I say this not just as individuals, but for the church. When we were first started, we were not Christians. We were, we were followers of Jesus, part of Judeo, uh, Judaism that Jesus came to make alive. And so returning, when he says in Malachi, return unto me and I'll return unto you. They said, how do we return? God says, in your tithes and in your offerings. And I'll open up for you the windows of heaven. But that's not all. I'll rebuke the enemy that tries to destroy you. How many would think this is a good thing to know? (laughs) It's a good thing to know that when we return to our Jewish roots, to the way the original church, all of these things were part of the church until the Council of Nicaea, 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus, that's when it changed. But God says there'll be an end-time revelation. The eyes of the Gentiles will be open. And when it happens, we return to our Jewish roots. We begin to understand Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. God will open up over us. See, because we're not going out bruised, busted, and disgusted. We're going out a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. That is this prophecy. All right, so here we have the teachings of Passover, the teachings of Pentecost, and the teachings of the Feast of Tabernacles. Right now, we are in the Feast of Tabernacles. Another name for the Feast of Tabernacles, and I'm going to do this quickly. Another name for the Feast of Tabernacles is the Feast of Booths. Why is that important that I bring up? Because it is the time when the Israelites had come out of the bondage of Egypt and they were not yet, but on a journey to the promised land and they lived in temporary booths. Now, if you were to go to Israel today or you to go to the Jews, Jewish neighborhoods around Dallas or anywhere, you will see every home around us with a little booth, a sukkah, a a, a booth um, outside of their house. 
There are a couple things, and real quick, is that you're to eat in there, you're to dwell in there. Why, why would you do that during the Feast of Tabernacles? To remind us that this land, this earth, this place is not our temporary dwelling, but I mean, not, not a permanent dwelling, but a temporary dwelling. This life is but a vapor of smoke. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. So this is the time to remind us we need to be serving God and living for God. In the booth, in the sukkah, always is a hole. Why? Because while we're enjoying the food and the comfort and the blessing of God, we keep our eyes towards heaven. Why towards heaven? That we don't forget that the Messiah is coming soon. And if there's ever been a time for us to realize the Messiah is coming soon, it is in the day and age that we live in right now. While we're doing our work on earth, we keep our eyes towards heaven because this is not really our home. Eternity is our home, and we're closer to that than we've ever been before. Amen? Also, it's to remind us that while the children of Israel were in the desert, God provided supernatural protection from the enemies and the elements. A cloud by the day, a pillar of fire by the night, and there were none sick. You know, my family is not here except Katie and I because they just all went through COVID. But even though they went through COVID, they didn't really get sick. They didn't really. And, and I believe we're in this world, but we're not of this world. The world can attack us. But I declare today the world cannot have his way on our life, on our family, on your family. We are in this world, but we are not under this world. Amen. It's also to remind us that God said, Build me a tabernacle. This is why this is why it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. In in the, the the desert, the Israelites, under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, built a temporary tabernacle where God could come and tabernacle amongst them. Now, don't let me throw you on this. It doesn't matter. But proof says that Jesus probably was not born on Christmas. Doesn't matter. Have your tree, little manger scene under there. That's when we celebrate it. But if you, and I won't get into it, but we can prove that the, main, the shepherds were in the field. They're not in the field during this December in Israel. They're, they're, but the Bible says that God says, build me a tabernacle that I may dwell with them. There's evidence, and it doesn't matter. Don't, don't get upset and say, he's ruined Christmas. It doesn't matter. We celebrate Christmas as the time that Jesus was born, but the Bible says Jesus, be, that the Lord became flesh, and he tabernacled amongst us. Also, <laughs> Jesus probably wasn't born in a, manger, in a stable. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. The word, the word sukkah is also the word stable. And every house in Israel would have, during this time, to celebrate Moses and celebrate the, the Feast of Tabernacles, would, outside of their home, as they do today, built a little sukkah. So one translation would be in a booth, 
Another translation would be a stable, but when Jesus went to the inn, there was no room for him at the inn, and so it's very possible that the innkeeper said, why don't you stay in our sukkah, our booth, which has a bed in it and has food in it and has drink in it and has everything. And so it doesn't matter if Jesus was born amongst the camels and the donkeys or Jesus was born. But it's probably that during this time is the time in which Jesus actually was birthed. Heresy. It's heresy. Jesus was born under Santa Claus. It's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called the um, Feast of Booth. But it's also called the Feast of the Ingathering. That when they would come by the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacle to bring their first fruit offering... It was because this was the time that God would release the blessing of of the kingdom of heaven over every area of our lives. Everybody brought three times a year. This is where Jesus got 60, 30, 60, 100 fold. He didn't just go, I don't know, you give, it'll be 30, 60, 100 fold. No, he's talking talking about the first fruits of Passover, first fruits of Pentecost, and first fruits of the Feast of Tabernacles. But history shows that even though every Jew worldwide would make sure on, on Passover, on Pentecost, they would get a first fruit offering in, many times they wouldn't come themselves because this blessing of the Feast of Tabernacles would be so great on their businesses, on their family, on their herds, on their vineyards, they would send someone. But during the Feast of Tabernacle, everybody came themselves because they did not trust, they did not want to rely on somebody else because this blessing that's released between tonight and tomorrow night is so phenomenal. Matter of fact, it's called the great salvation, and we'll show you why. And salvation doesn't just mean forgiveness of sin. Salvation means the salvation on your home, your family, your finances, your business, your job, your health, everything you touch. This is the greatest time. This is the, if I can put it this way, the biggest window of heaven that opens up, and we are in it right at this very second. Somebody say amen. Now listen to this. Zechariah 14, 16, and let me read it to you. It says, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations. Now, now look at me. The nations mean the goyim, the Gentiles. So listen, he's writing it to Gentiles. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, the Gentiles, which came against Jerusalem. Now you think about the Christian church. It was the Christian church that brought the crusades. It was the Christian church that brought the pogroms and the inquisition and gave platform for the Holocaust. But he said, something's going to flip right here. He said, those who came against Jerusalem... They shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be 
that whichever of the families of the earth, the Gentiles, do not come up to Jerusalem, on them there will be no rain. So here's an amazing prophecy concerning the church. It says at one time the church was those who tried to destroy the Jewish people, Jerusalem. But that, right before the coming of Messiah, that will flip over. And instead of being against the Jews, we will be standing for the Jews. We will be standing for Jerusalem. Instead of the church pushing the Jews out of Jerusalem, the church will be bringing the Jews back to Jerusalem. And he said, those who don't, there will be no rain. This is the season of the early and the latter rain. The early rain, right now, right now in Jerusalem, right now in Jerusalem. We've been there. Some of you were with us on a tour. And you go, we went down to the Sea of Galilee, and it's hot right now, and it's dusty, and everything is covered with dust. But the fields have been plowed, and the seed is in the ground. Last time we were there, we were coming up. Was anybody on that trip when we were coming up to Jerusalem? Remember that? And, and all of a sudden, and we're singing that song. We're on our buses, and we're singing that song. They're playing that song, Jerusalem. And we're making Aliyah. We're coming up into Jerusalem on the Sabbath during the Feast of Tabernacles. And all of a sudden, I think it was Robert and Donna said, Pastor, look at the windshield. And here comes this light rain. This, this, this misty rain. And man, we're just, I mean, you could just feel, we've just been down there. The fields are plowed, the seeds in the ground, but it's been a drought for eight months. And all of a sudden we're coming into Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was so moving. Uh, we pulled off to, uh, 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 where, we, where did we pull off on uh, Z- uh, Mount Zion or um, Mount of Olives? And, and there's a double rainbow over Jerusalem. Our tour guide is weeping. He's saying, I've never felt God like this. Why the early rain? Because if there's no early rain, the seed dies. If there's too heavy of a rain, the seed is washed away. So it has to be right now, the early rain, the early rain cements your blessing in. The early rain gives your blessing root And then after the blessing has root, then comes the latter rain. And the latter rain brings an abundance of harvest. I remember walking in the hotel and everybody's just so excited because it's literally happening according to the prophecies of the Old Testament. Exactly what Zechariah said. And so here's a prophecy. The Bible says in the last days, the eyes of the Gentiles will be opened. And we'll begin to embrace these things. But there'll be a lot of the Gentiles who are in church right now have no idea where we are in God's calendar. And the rain won't come. But on you and I, God is sealing that blessing. He's giving root to our blessing. And then here comes the abundant harvest. Amen? All right. So let's go through this very, very quickly. This is called a season of great joy. And I won't take time. When you get a chance, read Isaiah 1 through 6. Not only is the blessing coming, but between tonight and tomorrow night, every curse. Say, well, this is for the Jews. We've been grafted in through Jesus. That's why the Bible says, cursed is he who hangs on a cross. Jesus didn't just take my sin. He broke every curse. 
and this is activated. Is there something attacking your life, your family? Let's get that curse broken right now. Amen. Because this is also called the season of great joy. All right. Now let's look real quick in the next 15 or 20 minutes. Let's look real quick to the, the celebration that is taking place on this day. The great salvation. The last day starts tonight to tomorrow night. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacle, the great salvation. First is the lighting ceremony, and I'm just going to go through through this very quick. This lighting ceremony is in the court of the women. This is the very place in which they dragged that woman that was caught in the act of adultery. This is during that time. In the court of the women, there are four towering menorahs. Each towering menorah, all four of them, have four huge bowls, 16 in all, and it's 75 feet tall. Now, I want you to take time to picture this. Four 75-foot-tall menorahs, four huge buckets on each menorah filled with oil with a wick hanging out. That wick hanging out that they're about to light is called swaddling cloth. It is the cloth that was dipped in blood when the high priest for the the high priest for the last seven days have been making sacrifice through the offering they get blood on they change they get blood on they change they get blood on them they change this is only the cloth of the high priest it's called swaddling cloth when jesus was born in a sukkah he was wrapped in what swaddling cloth why because this is a shadow but jesus is the real thing he is not just the lord of lords and the king of kings he is our ultimate high priest that makes intercession 24 7 before the throne of almighty god amen can't make this can't make this up it's set on a hill why it they lit these lights Picture, 75 feet tall, huge fires, 16 of them, so that every courtyard, every home, every doorway was lit by the light of God. These lights represent the Shekinah glory, the anointing of Almighty God. The Lord said in in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light. This is the time as we come and gather in the great salvation that we reignite the light of God that will lead us and guide us and teach us and protect us and provide for us that whoever recognizes that light will not this next year live in any darkness. And isn't this the reason for the Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us and teach us and show us things to come, help us make decisions, help us do what's right, help us not make a mistake and get lost, but follow the path of God into every blessing that God has for us. The next thing is what's called the water libation ceremony. This is the living water. As they, the high priests and all, and, and, and hundreds of other priests, they would go from the temple all the way down to the pool of Siloam. As they go to the pool of Siloam, the pool of living water, they would dip a pitcher in, a, 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 a silver pitcher, and they would begin to walk back up the pilgrimage road. At the end of this, I'll show you a picture. 
Let me throw this in. They've just rediscovered the pilgrimage road after 2,000 years. They just rediscovered. I've been there. Some of you have been on the road with me. It is, it is absolutely beautiful. All the way from the Pool of Siloam to the Temple Mount where they would walk on this day. Million Jews or more followed by the high priest. They, f- they found a, a, a golden pomegranate bell that the high priest would have on his robe as he walked into the Holy of Holies and they would hear the jingling. They found one. I've seen it. This is the very road. And think about this. Why did they find it right now after 2,000 years? They found it by accident. Down by the Pool of Siloam, a water main broke. They started digging it and they found this road. And as they started uh, uncovering it, they realized this is the pilgrimage road. Why are they finding it right now after 2,000 years? Because we're about to see Jesus sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And together we will once again. It's right there. In ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? Somebody needs to have eyes to see and ears to hear. It hasn't been known for 2,000 years. And they found it accidentally. For such a time as this, my friend. Oh, man, I'm telling you, get ready. I, I've walked on it. How many of you have walked on it? How many of you have been in there? We've walked on that road. It's a- absolutely incredible. All right. So here they have, they're going down to get the pitchers of living water. And in front of them, there are hundreds of other priests that have 20, 26-foot willow branches. Hundreds of them. And they're leading the processions into the temple. And they're going, Remember, the Holy Spirit also means the breath of God. And that's, this is symbolizing that God is about to breathe on our lives for the entire rest of the year. Every time you think that the devil is killing your family or killing your business or killing this or killing that, you need to be silent and know that he is God. Remember, when you say God's name, Yahweh, you say it without moving your lips and without moving your tongue. You say half of it breathing in and half of it breathing out. And let everything that has breath give God all the praise and all the glory. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. As they come in through bringing the water through the water gate, we've all walked through the water gate. That's what the water gate is. Not water gate in Washington, the water gate in Israel, in Jerusalem. They would then come to the altar. Now, forgive me for going through this so quickly. As they're coming with the water, the living water, the priests are waving the, the 25, 20, 25, 26-foot willow branches representing the breath of God, there is one that is leading the whole procession. And he's playing a flute. This is a representation of the Messiah. And the, in Hebrew, he's called the pierced one. Now, isn't that bizarre? In Hebrew... He's called the pierced one. If you remember and you go back to Passover, 
when we have the unleavened bread, how many pieces of unleavened bread do we have? Three. Very good. You're paying attention. We have, they're buried in a chamber. Which one do we pull out? The middle one. Every piece of matzah of unleavened bread. Of course, Jesus had no sin. He had no leaven. He was the middle one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When you pull it out since the time of Moses, every single piece is is pierced and striped. Because by his stripes we are healed, and the piercing was being nailed to the cross. And as they're bringing in, and remember, this day is called the day of great salvation. And the one who's playing the flute and leading them, representing the Messiah, is called in Hebrew, the pierced one. Now, once again, let me throw in, nailing someone, the Romans, the Romans crucified hundreds of thousands of Jews, but they didn't nail them. They tied them. They didn't have nails. They they couldn't go down down to to Lowe's and get nails. Lowe's, Mormon. (laughs) But they nailed Jesus. Why? Because he is the pierced one. So here they come. The high priest comes in. And, and as they lay the lamb, the, the final sacrifice on the altar, the blood is shed of that lamb. The priest walks around that altar, take a wild guess how many times he walks around the altar. Seven times. Seven days of Sukkot. Seven places that Jesus shed his blood. When they went in Yom Kippur, how many times they sprinkled the blood? Seven times. It's not a coincidence. And every time he walked around that altar, the people would shout out, save us now, save us now, save us now. Now picture a million Jews from the Temple Mount all the way down past the uh, Pool of Siloam. Say, well, would there really be a million people? Did anybody see the Western Wall during the, the high holidays? There were tens and tens of thousands of Jews just, in, just at the Western Wall till it spilled over. You couldn't get there. Can you imagine this during the Feast of Tabernacles multiplied by 100,000? And so they're all the way up, all the way up. And, of course, it's downhill. That's why it's called making Aliyah. Aliyah means coming up. And as the priest is walking around, the people begin to shout, save now, save now, save now. And the the priest would come and lay the willows, huge altar, lay the willows on the altar where they made a tabernacle. And then the blood of that lamb was released into the fire. Then the high priest would take the golden pitcher of oil and the silver pitcher of water, and he would walk up to the altar, and the people would begin to shout, a million people, save now, show us your hands, show us your hands, show us your hands. Why is this? Because there was a time in history in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, that there was a high priest that believed God's people to be holy had to suffer. 
He believed that they could have their sins forgiven. He believed that, that the waters of salvation were theirs, but the covenant picture of wine, which released prosperity, he poured on the ground. And so that year, Israel suffered drought, famine, no one prospered. So they're not going to take a chance. He walks around the altar seven times. Jesus shed his blood. They released blood in in the Holy of Holies. Seven days of Sukkot, getting ready for this day. And so they would begin to shout, save us now. Not just their souls, but their families, their business, their jobs, their nation, their country, their people. And the high priest would walk up. He's above everybody. And they would begin to shout, show us your hands. Show us your hands. And he would take both pitchers, lift them up. The blood has already forgiven the sin. The house of God has been built temporarily. Someday it's going to be forever on that very spot. He would lift up the pitcher for the covenant blessings and the waters of salvation. And he would pour them together and mix the covenant of God with the waters of salvation and the blood of the lamb. When Jesus hung on the cross and they pierced his side, out of that wound came what? Blood and water. Not just salvation, but Jesus' covenant power that through him we would have life and that life more abundant. And the priest would lift them up and he would pour them out together and then he would shout as the the salvation, the blood, and the covenant of God was released. He would shout out to all that had ears to hear, it is finished. Now, Now watch this. Picture a million people. And they're all the way down past the pool of Siloam. I don't know what, a mile? Those that saw it, Their great salvation day was not complete until they turned. You got a picture of a million people shouting, is it finished? Is it finished? Is it finished? Because they they knew once it was, then that Shekinah anointing would come on every part of their life. And so the people who saw it, their salvation, their blessing was not complete until they turned to others and said, it's finished. And they would turn, it's finished, it's finished, it's finished. And I believe that's what God said to us, that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel and let every person, once we see it, it's not enough. We've got to turn to those who didn't see it yet and tell them through Jesus Christ and the seven places he shed his blood and pierced by the nails on the cross and took every curse for curses he who hangs on a tree that we need to turn to every person we know and say, you know what? You need to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, because through Jesus Christ we are in this world we are not of this world and our great salvation it is finished somebody give the Lord a clap offering of praise during this time and I'm jumping I'm trying to get this all done in four minutes and 58 seconds 57 seconds the people this is where the people would shout 
We thirst. We thirst. What are they saying? We cannot live without the presence of God in our lives. Now, I want you to listen to this. I'm closing with this. I really am. Sort of. They would begin to shout as the high priest walked around the altar seven times as he lifted it up. As he's getting ready to pour the salvation, the covenant, and the blood. And they would say, we thirst. We thirst. It's been a year since this has happened. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, I thirst. They reached up and tried to give him bitter wine. But Jesus wasn't thirsting for anything this world had to offer. His thirst was that you and I, through him, would see Almighty God in all of his greatness, in all of his power, in all of his strength, in all of his love, that we would see God the way he did. And so when Jesus said, I thirst, he wasn't thirsting for anything of this world. He was thirsting that you and I, through his resurrection, would be empowered by Almighty God. And just as that high priest on the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus looked to heaven and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And yes, he spoke Arabic. That's Arabic. And one of the translations for Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me or actually left me? But another translation, Arabic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani is, my God, my God, this is why you have strengthened me. It's the same words, same words. And I declared to us what God spoke to me. And he said, as we go into this next year and we see it get crazy and we realize that we are under the blood of Jesus, that we will turn to everyone and share with them. It's finished. And we will never forget this year. My God, my God, this is why you have protected us, provided for us, and strengthened us. You know, there's going to come a time that the Antichrist is going to call for a global government. And I want us to remember that we have a global mission going to all the world. That's why we're on television. You know how many millions of dollars we spend every year to be on television, to teach people the Jewish roots, to teach people the love of Christ? It's incredible. But for the first time in history, with a push of a button, we can be in almost every home in the world. We truly are going into all the world. Until that final day, when it really is finished, we have a global mission. And we need to remember, this is why you've blessed us, so that we can go. Would you give him a great big clap offering and tell him you love him? This is where Jesus said, 
if any man thirst, let him come unto me. You know, we were, I've been to Israel 38 times, I think it is, 36, 38 times, something like that. And we always do a teaching of Pentecost because, you know, as you go up the steps where they entered into the gates and then they came out, we always do a, a teaching because some of, most of the steps are rebuilt, but there are a bunch of them that were the very steps that Jesus walked on. You walk up the pilgrimage road, and those are the very steps that's the very road Jesus walked on, the very road. I was with Prime Minister, we were in a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, every year I'm asked in November, I hope we can do it this year, every year I was asked, in, can you go ahead and play some background music, guys? Every year I'm asked to uh, come to Israel, come to Jerusalem and teach. They bring all these parliament members in from uh, from across Europe, and I'm asked to come there and teach them. And I was there the last time we were, we were able to travel to Israel, and we, the last thing we had before everybody went home that night, uh, we had a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And it was just like 30 of us and his people, and this one man from Europe asked a couple kind of insulting questions to be honest with you, kind of rude, anti-Semitic questions. And you could see President, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu getting upset. And the guy wouldn't stop. And we're going, oh, my goodness, be quiet. And he, 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 it was insulting. And uh, you could see the prime minister. I mean, this is the prime minister of Israel. He's, he's bugged. And so uh, a friend of mine, Josh, who's been here many times, he's sitting on the I mean, we're, we're this far away. We're closer than I am to Harold. And uh, Josh looks at me and goes, uh, you, you ask a question. And I'm going. <laughs> no, he's, he's mad. He's, he's upset. And he goes, yeah, yeah. So Josh gets up and says, okay, uh, we're almost out of time. We have time for one more question. Pastor Larry. And so I said, Prime Minister Netanyahu has a ring that they found in excavating the city of David in the Temple Mount. And it's like from, I think, 3,000 years. I, I may be wrong, but it's 2,000, 3,000 years old. And it's a signia of the name Netanyahu. And, of course, the Palestinians and the anti-Israelites uh, say, oh, these things are fake. Every time they find something in Israel that proves that the Jews have been there for thousands of years, oh, it's fake. It's just fake. So I said to Prime Minister Netanyahu, I said, I know how people always say that we find this pottery, we find this, we find the, you know, oh, it's fake. I said, how important is finding the pilgrimage road? Do we have a picture of the pilgrimage road? Do we have any? Maybe we don't. How, how, uh, there it is. Oh, and, and, and it's actually three times wider than this. The street's above us. And so it's actually three times wider than this. And what, a mile? A little over a mile long or something? And I said, you know, I, they always say it's fake. How important is finding it's, it? You can't fake that. You can't, you can't put that in a factory in China and make it. And 
Prime Minister Netanyahu's eyes welled up in tears. And he started talking about how important this is to the world. And he said something. He said, you know what, Pastor? Our relatives all walked this. Because it wasn't just Jews. It was Gentiles who followed Almighty God. And he said, I think we're getting ready to walk it real soon again. In other words, the Messiah is coming. You know, one of the keys to the coming of Messiah is this. God said, I will bless those. We're going to take a first fruit offering this morning. We're not going to pass the buckets out. We're, going to, I mean, we're not going to have you come up. We're going to pass the plates out because of COVID and all this stuff. And one of the greatest prophecies of end time is that the Gentiles would stop fighting with Israel and start blessing Israel. And so we're already preparing for a couple planes of Ethiopian Jews to make Aliyah to the nation of Israel. And we're going to take a first food offering and from here in Dallas and wherever you're watching around the world, we're going to take a first food offering, we've already pledged it, to the nation of Israel We can't walk that road. We'll do it electronically from bank to bank. But we are going to take a first fruit offering on your behalf to bless the nation of Israel. And what did God say? I will bless those who bless you. Almighty God. So would you stand with us all over the building? I want you to prepare your first fruit offering. Scotty. morning, church. We've got some special breaking news I want to share with the uh, church from Israel. I have COVID? Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome anytime in Israel. Pastor's a famous man in Israel. Don't we love our pastor? And I just want to share this uh, before we receive our first fruits offering. Uh, Israel has just released its annual list of the top 50 Christian leaders worldwide. And guess who's at the top of the list? Our pastor, Pastor Larry, is at the top of the list. Along with uh, former Vice President Pence, Pastor John Hagee, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Roger Starbuck, uh, UN former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, uh, and many, many others. But because of our stand for Israel, supporting Israel, standing against anti-Semitism worldwide, uh, Pastor, if you didn't know, he's on the board. He was appointed. Uh, to be part of the board of the Israel Allies Foundation. It's been about 10 years now. 
And uh, uh, we've been standing with Israel for 25 years. But in these last 10 years, we've been at the forefront of passing anti-BDS legislation. We've been giving Israel through Aliyah, supporting Holocaust survivors, and so many other charitable things. Millions of dollars we've given, you've given, together all of us have given to be a blessing to Israel. And part of that blessing is that our pastor is now uh, uh, for the second year in a row, it's a, a, a phenomenal honor. Uh, one of the top Christian allies of Israel. So let's give the Lord and our pastor a great big hand clap. Amen. Well done, pastor. Amen. Well done. You know, I saw this. I didn't know we we're going to do this, but I saw this. Uh, I just come out of the bush. I didn't have internet or my phone service and I saw this and I was actually in little bitty bitty tribal town in Canada and uh, I, I saw that I was number three and uh, the, the, the ex-prime minister of Canada was number four and uh, the guys read it and, and immediately they said what, how did this happen who are you and I mean this with the bottom of my heart. God chooses the foolish. You know, one of the great prophecies is, is that the Gentiles that I read about, whose eyes will be open, the beginning of that, they won't choose to have their eyes open. God will choose them. And I wasn't looking for Israel. I've been taught we've replaced Israel. We're the new Israel. The, the typical lie and one day God just opened my eyes I went there and I realized holy cow we're grafted into them that's what Paul was saying so I want to say to all of you and all of our partners around the world you know they had an article and they said New Beginnings has given New Beginnings and Larry Huck Ministries has given millions and millions and millions of dollars to the nation of Israel and it, it, I understand it's my name that's on that top of that list, but I didn't give millions of dollars. You did. And I want to thank you for trusting me to stand with the nation of Israel. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It is, it is, it is the reward for all of us. And I believe this a thousand how many years have I been teaching Feast of Tabernacles and this morning when I was getting ready God said Larry everything is a shadow Passover is a shadow Pentecost is a shadow until the real thing Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Feast of Tabernacles is a shadow and so is the millennial blessing someday that blessing that divine blessing where the enemy is, is locked up will be for a thousand years and God said tell the people it may be only a shadow but I'm going to lock the enemy up for a year who knows what will happen next Rosh Hashanah maybe the rapture will take place but you and I are under the protection through Jesus Christ of the shadow of the almighty do you receive that do you receive that so for the sake of safety 
We're going to take our first fruit offering. Three times a year, come before the Lord, and we don't come empty-handed. This is the day. God said, you will rejoice. I want you to watch the next year of blessing after blessing, divine intervention when the enemy tries to come in. We read the scripture that, you know, you know the original Hebrew, the original Hebrew had no chapters, no, no commas, no, it all read together. That's why the Bible says rightly dividing the word of God. Remember I taught that? Private beach, no swimming allowed. Private beach, no. Swimming allowed. God is nowhere. It's not where God is now here. Depends how you divide it. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, comma, God will raise up a standard. But the way it originally reads is when the enemy comes in, like a flood, God will raise up a standard. The enemy's not the flood. The anointing of God is the flood. Do you get it? So I don't, I don't, you don't need to stay after we receive the offering. You're free to go, but I'm going to take the offering. I will walk it through the Holy of Holies just as you would normally do. But let me pray for you before you go. Father, over this first fruit offering of those that are in the building and are, look at me a second. You know, we have over 3 million partners. Three million, over 3 million partners that stand with us and stand with Israel. And so, Father, we release this blessing over all of you, over all of our family that's around the world, our partners, our family, our members, church members around the world. We release this millennial blessing. We release the early rain that seals the blessing and the latter rain that brings the abundance harvest in every area of our life. And we do it because you first loved us. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, who is our Messiah. Now, as we take this, Malachi says all the world will call you blessed. This next year, as God blesses your home and God blesses your family and God blesses your finances and God blesses your children, as he does, don't forget to turn to somebody and say, it's finished. And he's the reason why we're blessed. Amen. You believe it's going to be a great year? Give the Lord a clap offering. Ushers, gang, would we sing and worship the Lord? I'll pray for it at the end. Amen. I just want to take a moment to say to all of our stream partners that the blessing of God we release on you in every area of your life. We want to thank you so much. Tiz and I want to say how much we love you. We appreciate you. We count on you to do what God has called us to do in the name of Jesus and for the nation of Israel. And I know I say it, but I can't say it enough. We cannot do what God's called us to do if it wasn't for the church and you, the church, around the world. May this next year's blessing be so great and so marvelous that truly when the world looks at your life and they ask you, why are you so blessed? You can tell them, because of him. Thank you so much. 
and may God bless you in everything you do. Truly, our best is yet to come. Amen. everybody. Be safe, stay healthy, and know and claim that your best this next year is going to be beyond anything you've ever dreamed of before. We may be in this world, but we are from his kingdom. Thank you for standing up with Jesus. Thank you for standing up with Tiz and I and New Beginnings with Larry Huck Ministries, and thank you for standing up with the nation of Israel. I received a text last night asking to release the blessing from Jerusalem on all of you around the world. Give the Lord a clap offering one more time. God bless. Amen. 